Hallelujah. Thank you. We have been going through Second Samuel, 15th chapter, and um, we have been sharing that if we use David as an example, we have to say God been good to us. This is the fifth week and I'm using this theme because I want you to see that, if you may, about David. Instead of just looking at what's going on in this case with the son Absalom and uh, some bad stuff, instead of seeing it from that angle only, let us look at it from the angle of our God preserve David. And uh, he's been good to David and he continues to be good with David. Now we can form scholars do look at these things and they come up with many different insights. And that's good. I do some of that myself. We try not to be speculative, you know, and come up with a whole lot of conjectures. But it's obvious that David, in so many ways, uh, we are like him. Even though we serve God and we believe in God and we trust God, and, oh, you know, churches, we always talk about coming over hardship. And that's a very good thing, a very good thing, aspect of church. And we see it in the life of David. And I, and, 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 and I can't stress enough, what would David be if it weren't for God in spite of all that has happened to him? We're contrasting with... Um, with uh, Saul, you, you can see, you know, great difference. Of, uh, we said it so many times, if Saul had turned to God and, and all that kind of stuff. And look how, much, look how much God did for Saul. And I gave him a lot of victories and so forth. But um, he didn't have the kind of heart for God that David had. And again, I must emphasize and repeat, where would we be without God in spite of everything? Where would David be? And I'm, you can see it, I'm trying to suggest something here. I'm trying to suggest that, you know, we'll Absalom behave. Yes, we may come up with... Um, some insights as to maybe how David raised his children, or maybe he was so busy being a warrior. You know, those are, you know, uh, nothing wrong with those insight. But the same thing could have happened to David with or without some of these things, circumstances, in his life, and most definitely a whole lot of stuff 
could happen to David the same way it, it happened to him if he won seven gold. So one of the things that we need to shout about and thank God for, and like I keep saying, you know, we're blessed in so many ways is that David knew God, God knew David, so to speak, and God knew all this stuff was going on. As I said last week, David was no fool. I'm certainly, I'm certain that he suspected a whole lot of stuff about Absalom. But David also knew that God was with him, David. So like we were saying last week, after four years, Absalom said he wanted to go to Hebron. Uh, we talk about Hebron a little bit, about the significance of it being a city of refuge. He said he had made a promise that he would worship God. They have a special feast, whatever. And uh, I'm sure that David suspected he was using that as an excuse to kind of cut himself loose from David. But, you know, he's taken a large contingent of bodyguard and other folks, and he's still speaking things that are not true about his father. So in verse 11, 200 of the men from Jerusalem went with Absalom as invited guests, going in their innocence as they did not know what it is. They really, Absalom didn't tell them, well, I'm going to go over there and um, Hebron and plot, plot against my father. No, he didn't tell them that. He said, ah, you know, my father said I can go and he's cutting me, giving me some, cutting me loose a little bit. And so uh, they gladly join him. He's, you know, he's a prince. Uh, but then in verse 12, we see that Absalom sent for Ahithophel, Ahithophel, the Gilonite, the advisor of David from the city of Gilor, while he offered the sacrifices the conspiracy grew in strength and people were going and increase, going increasingly with Absalom. I know I hinted and touched upon this a little bit before but it is an atrocity. It is terrible when we use religion, God forbid, worship, or anything as an excuse to work against each other, to work against God people, to work against your community, to work against anybody, to use uh, Christianity, to use 
our faith as an excuse and justify what harm that we could do people uh, is terrible. And here is Absalom planning to literally overthrow his father from being king and he is using David's advisors as he is having church as we would call it while he offered the sacrifices. So he did go there uh, the Hebron, he did go and he had church, so to speak. He worshiped God, but he was still plotting all along. And in all involving other people in the plot. And uh, not telling them what he was really planning. Yeah, real conspiracy. Conspiring to overthrow his father. Now let's stop there for a minute. And let us reflect. David throughout his life, as we could as we have seen, we could use a word, the term, he feared God. He feared God because, you know, he had opportunities to kill, overthrow, take away the throne from Saul, who was his enemy, and try to kill him. But David refrained from that. The very opposite of what Absalom is doing to David. Here you have, on the one hand, David having human justifiable reasons why he could have gotten rid of Saul and didn't because, like you said, touch not my anointed. The man is anointed by God. He is a mess. He is my arch enemy. He's trying to kill me, but I'm not going to go against God has it. God has his plan. And is Absalom reflecting? Is he thinking? Is he realizing that David is anointed? David, his father, is anointed by God? Is Absalom thinking? Well, look at all of, of what God has done for my father. He even has placed him on the throne. I ought to leave my father alone. Did he tell himself that? Do folk fear God? Do folk realize that they may try to harm people who are anointed by God? Do folk realize that 
if a person has a long history of a relationship with God, they ought to be careful how to deal with them. And the truth of the matter is, even if someone doesn't have a long history with God, even if someone is not anointed like David was, what business is it of folk, of us, of me, or anybody to try to hurt another human being in the first place? So, so, so Absalom here is the exact opposite. So the lesson is teaching us the exact, is the exact opposite of his father David in those regards. So verse 13, then the messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all the servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Get up and let us flee, for there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Now what I see in this, and again in the attitude of David and how he treated people, and we're going to see it come out even clearer as we go along. David is always considering people. I, I, I think the way I would read this is that David is saying, okay, Absalom is coming after us. Let us get out. I th think the way I would read it, like I said, is not that David is really just thinking about himself, trying to save, save his skin. I'm sure that David is not left helpless. I'm sure he has fighting people around him. I'm sure that not everyone went with Absalom. We know that. The text imply that. I really strongly believe that David, again, it fits his personality, is thinking of other people. He doesn't want other people to get hurt. And God forbid, hurt by his own son. Ah. Get up and let us flee, for there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Hurry to go. Otherwise, it will come quickly and overtake us. It will bring disaster on us and evil. He will attack the city with the edge of the sword. What are you telling us here, David? Are you telling us that you really know stuff about Absalom? that he is ruthless. He certainly, in some regards, more ruthless than Saul. So. 
Imagine at this time there's not much fighting going on. Israel is not is uh, relatively speak to a certain extent. Absalom is not fighting the enemies of Israel. He's trying to destroy his father David and those closest around him. He's trying to get rid of the people who are loyal. Get rid of them ruthlessly. That's what David is suggesting here. But then look at the Look at verse 15, and 16, and 17, and 18. David is concerned about the people who work for him, the people who served him. Then the servants, the king said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king chooses, your servants are ready to act, ready to die. We are ready to die for you. The king went out with his household following him. But the king left behind 10 concubines to look after the house. This comes in like the story of Abram and Isaac. We go worship God and then come back. David fully expected to be vindicated, to win if he had to fight. Is that what's going on here? David's faith in God is strong. And what an emotional, what an emotional context that we're going through as it comes to this point. David would have to, because of his ruthlessness, Absalom, that is, would David had to would would David had to kill his own son or have his own son killed? We put ourselves in David's sandals. What an emotional thing that David is facing. And to add to that, like I just said, he's thinking about the people around him and their safety. But he's coming back. He's leaving people in the household. To take care of the house while he's gone. 
So verse 17, so the king went out with all the people following him, and they stopped at the last house. All the servants were passing by him, and all the Karathites, you know, those are people that served in the temple, and all the Pilatites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passing before the king. So David had support. And he knew this from the beginning. You're never alone. God doesn't leave us alone. No. Absolutely not. David has support. So do we. Yes. Yes. 600 men who followed him from God. The king says the Ittite, the Gittite. Why are you also coming with us? And that's maybe a verse we should highlight. And in fact, that's what I really want to key on tonight, verse 19. The king says to Ittite, the Gittite, why are you also come with, with us? Return and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner. Moreover, you are an, an exile. You are far from your place. Hmm. There's a lot to chew on there. The king turned to Ittai, a leader of the men from Gath. Remember, Gath is a Philistine territory but now seemed to be under David's control because he had, you know, he had defeated the Philistines in several battles. God was a place that Saul and Jonathan were killed, a massacre. And David is saying, why are you coming with me? Go back to King Solomon, I mean Absalom, Absalom. Absalom had declared himself king over there in Hebron and had told the people to accept him as king and shout, all hail the king and whatever. So David is saying, this might seem to be hell. Is he suspicious of this guy? But I see more than that. I see something in David that I see all the time. I, David is a remarkable person, a believer in God. 
He told this guy, why are you coming with us? Go back to King Absalom, for you are a, a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where you will go. Go back and take your kinsman with you. And may the Lord show you is a failing love and faithfulness. I know that sometimes David is coy, maybe even a little bit sly. I keep saying all the time he has a good, he's a good judge of people and their character. He knows how to wait. We said all that. So some of that may be in there, but but the way how he speaks and the way how it ends, uh, the verse 19, may the Lord show you his unfailing love and faithfulness. So he's saying to this guy, you really don't have a dog in this fight. You, you know, you barely got into it. You barely got here. It may be very loyal of you to join us. But, you know, it really, it is all new to you. If, you know, uh, I know that, um, you see that, uh, Absalom is over in the Philistine territory, and he has declared himself king, and you can go over there. He's not saying fight for Absalom, but maybe, yeah, I guess maybe he have left that open. He doesn't want harm to come to him, so I don't, you know, you know but you're over here with us, and, Even though the other people were over here from Gath and ter Philistine territory, but 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 I what I what I'm underscoring here, I hope what I'm underscoring here, and we can interpret this so many different ways if we want. But David is always considering other people even while it may be detrimental, even if he suspected that this person could be a spy, even if he, whatever it is, he didn't trust this person, even if he, you know, could kill this person, whatever it was, but it seems that the David has given it weight consideration and had come to the conclusion that he give this person the benefit of the doubt but his concern and in this case we could use the word innocent you know I don't know if it exactly fits but he's concerned about innocent people being caught up 
in a horrible situation. David cares for others. David not only care for himself or think about himself, he think about those who are closest to him, those who have been loyal to him, and those who he don't even know. Again, tonight we have to say, God been very good to us. And some of us, God forbid, the folks there, that they're actually strangers to God. But God loves them anyhow. He protects them anyhow. And David is that kind of person. He has a heart for people. He loved people. Oh, yes, he had to fight, had to defend himself in a horrible vice of a situation, a vice grip of a situation here that he's facing his son who he may have to kill in battle. But it takes the time to think about others. The same way he would have treated Absalom if Absalom had given him a chance. Because God loves people. And we see that image in David. He loved people. No wonder God kept saying, David is a person after my own heart. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. That was a verse that really